You can turn to James chapter 2. We continue our journey through the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 this morning. But before I get into the message, I just want to say a thank you to those who helped with fire and ice last night, our marriage enrichment event. It was a great event. I know Bobby Taylor and Pam Campbell and uh, PT did a lot of the decorating, and Ashama did a lot of the organizing, and Joseph Stanley had a big hand in, in helping our volunteers, and Miss Norman, the hospitality team, uh, did a great job. We had child care workers. Our speaker did a great job. We had youth serving. So I just, and I want to thank you who came last night. It was a great event, a great experience, and I think we need to do more of that uh, like we did last night. But it was a great evening of, of food and fellowship and encouragement. And uh, Pastor Mike James from Porter Memorial did a great job and, and talking about how to have a successful marriage. And so it was really good, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more of those events moving forward. But, but thank you so much, church, for supporting that event. That's so important to make sure we have strong marriages and strong families because, as I said before, without strong marriages and strong families, you can't have a strong church. And so we want to make sure that we invest in our families. But this morning, like I said, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and the title of today's message is Playing Favorites. Uh, last week we talked about true religion. We talked about what true religion looks like, that true religion begins with a relationship with God and is demonstrated in our conduct, in our conversation, in our compassion. We talked about how we must be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And today we're going to look at something that I believe that we all must admit that we struggle with at some point in our lives. Every single one of us have played favorites at some point. We've had favorite friends. We may have had favorite teachers. We may have had favorite co-workers. Children may have a favorite parent depending on who is the softy and who will give them what they want. I know for a fact I'm not always my child's favorite parent. But you know what, parent? If you're not your child's favorite parent, in my, in my eyes, you're doing your job. That's another message. But, um, but parents, by their own children, are accused of playing favorites. You don't love me as much as you love him or her. Hey, he got more than me. And as a parent, we must be careful not to play favorites. I remember uh, when our boys were a lot younger, and I, would pre- I still prepare Luke's lunch every morning. Um, Thank, you can say thank you, Luke, all right? Um, but when they were in elementary school, we would give them a, a, a treat like M&M's. And Joni gets so frustrated with me because I would put out these Ziploc bags and I would count how many M&M's each child got to make sure they got exactly enough. And they had the same and they couldn't accuse me of playing favorites. For Christmas and birthday, I make sure that the money that each one get comes out almost exactly so each child can accuse me of playing favorites. But we all have been guilty of this. But in our claim to be followers of Christ, we must be careful not to demonstrate favoritism, not to be accused of favoritism. And the word favoritism, it literally means receiving the face. It's the idea of making judgments about people, accepting people, approving people based on external criteria, such as looks, or appearance, or dress, or skin color, or any external factor. Favoritism, discrimination, bias, prejudice, partiality, they have no place in the kingdom of God and in the life of a believer. And if we want God's kingdom to grow, 
We must come to a point where we are willing to accept and reach out to others regardless of what they look like. You see, we have to get beyond the appearance and see others as Christ sees them. And if we have a faith that works, we cannot have a faith that is characterized by favoritism. As we go through the passage of Scripture this morning, I want to share with you five ways that playing favorites is inconsistent with who God is and with who God wants us to be. Before I read James 2, 1 through 13, I want you to share with you the link between 127 and James 2. At the end of 127, James says that, that we are to pure and undefined religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And then he says to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says we are supposed to be holy. We are not supposed to live according to the world's standards or values or ideologies, but we are to live according to God's standards. And James applies this truth in 127 to the issue of favoritism. Why? Because James is warning the church that favoritism is a common way for the church to fall into worldliness. And you will see how as we look at James 2, 1 through 13. So let's look at James 2, verses 1 through 13. James writes, My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing fine clothes, so you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? If you really carry out the royal law prescribed by Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit and are, commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom, for judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Third thing I want to share with you this morning is favoritism is inconsistent with God's disposition. You see, favoritism is not of God. Favoritism is not part of God's character. God does not play favorites. God does not see any one of us better than anyone else. In God's eyes, we are all equal. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there's male nor and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it very clear that we are one in Christ Jesus. He makes it clear that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, and that God's love is available to everyone who believes. Very familiar verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Romans ten thirteen says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, for God to love someone more than he loves you and me, for God to play favorites 
It's to go against his own character. It's to go against his own promises. And if God played favorites, it would invalidate who he is and who he claims to be. And God loves each one of us as much as he loves the other person. You know, it's like a parent and child relationship. There are things I did that my parents did not like, but it did not keep them from loving me. And there are things that I do that God doesn't like, but I can never do anything that causes God to love me less. And I can never do anything to cause God to love me more. God's love is consistent, and so is his character. And because God's love is consistent, because his character is consistent, he treats everyone fairly. God is impartial. He always has been, and he always will be. And we must resist the temptation to say, God is not fair. When we think about that statement, do we really want God to be fair? Meaning, do we really want God to give us what we do deserve? I don't think any of us here this morning want God to be fair. Because if God gave us what we do deserve, we would deserve death and not the life that he provides through his son, Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18, it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God, showing no partiality and taking no bride. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreign resident, giving him food and clothing. What kind of God would God be if he played favorites? If God played favorites, he could not be the God that we know. He could not be the God that we love. He could not be the God that we worship. And where would we be if God played favorites? We would have no hope. We wouldn't have a chance. And for parents, which child is your favorite may depend upon the day and what they did or didn't do. And I know my parents have probably said, and you as a parent probably said, that's not my child. I'm not claiming that child. But that's not how God works. Romans 2, 11 says, there is no favoritism with God. When it comes to God, we are all on the same playing field. And his love and his mercy and his grace and peace and eternal life are available to all people in all places, to anyone who comes to the point where they are willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to be thankful that God doesn't play favorites. Second thing, favoritism is inconsistent with God's desire. In verses 1 through 4, you see, we as believers, we should have the same convictions as God. And because God is impartial, And because God wants us to imitate him, he desires for us to be impartial as well. And in verse 1, James says, we are to hold on to our faith in Christ without showing favoritism. And actually, in the Greek, it should say acts of favoritism. Basically meaning not to make decisions about people based on any external factor. If this was the case, If God made decisions based on external factors, David would never have been chosen king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, 
For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You see, James challenges us to hold our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what James is saying is that discriminating against people is inconsistent with the character of Christ. It's inconsistent with our faith in Christ. In Leviticus 19.15, it says, You must not act unjustly when rendering judgment. Do not be partial to the poor. Give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. You see, what's on the inside of a person should matter so much more than what's on the outside of a person. And because God looks at the heart, we need to look at the heart. And then in verses 2 through 4, James gives a real-life example of what it looks like to give preference to someone. You see, the readers to whom James was writing, they were giving preference to the rich. They were struggling with this issue of favoritism. The first man who was rich, he comes to the meeting, probably a worship service, and he's wearing a gold ring. He's well-dressed. He's upper-class. And he's given a great place to sit. He's given what we know as the red carpet treatment. But then another man comes in. He looks completely different. He's filthy. He has shabby clothes. And because of how he looked, he was told to stand or sit at someone's feet. He was told to sit next to the footstool. Basically, that means he was told, you get what's left over. Why? Simply because of how he looked. Both men were visitors. Both men were told where to sit. What did the rich man do to deserve preferential treatment? Absolutely nothing. He was treated the way he was because of how he looked, because how he was dressed, because those people knew what he could bring to the table. What did the poor man do to deserve discrimination? Absolutely nothing. He was treated the way he was because of how he looked and how he was dressed. You know what the overarching factor here was the outward appearance. It was the clothes that they wore. And this was wrong because they accommodated the rich. And they were discriminating against the poor. And it was wrong because they discriminated against their own people. Most of the people to whom James is writing this letter to, they were considered poor. And James says by showing favoritism, he says it makes them evil-thinking judges. You see, judges are to be fair. Judges are to be impartial. Judges are not to show bias and have preconceptions. Judges are not to decide a case before they get to the heart of the matter. And there's a saying that says, don't judge a book by its cover. And what that basically means is is looks are deceiving. And forming an opinion about someone solely on what we see is wrong. And here's the problem. First impressions are not always right. See, as a culture, we tend to stereotype people. As a culture, we tend to have predetermined suppositions about people. We rank them by their looks, whether or not they may have tattoos or piercings or maybe their hair color. We rank them by maybe the clothes they wear. We rank them by maybe their ethnicity or their social status or their occupation or their personality or or their intelligence or their wealth or power, maybe the kind of car they drive or where they live. You see, we tend to judge people only on what we see. And I know in my years of student ministry, I've heard stories of students who went to church and they were simply asked to leave because of what 
they were wearing. Simply because of maybe the shirt they had on. Or simply because they had had piercings. And in talking to those students, you know what they said? I never went back to church again. You see, how we treat people, how we welcome people, is going to make a lasting impression on them. In fact, did you know that guests who come to church make up their mind about a church within the first 10 minutes of stepping on the campus of a church? Within the first 10 minutes of someone visiting a church, they make up their mind whether or not they'll ever visit that church again. First impressions make a difference. It's not about the preaching to them. Thank the Lord. It's not about the music to them. It's about how they were treated when they walked through the door. And I know when I first went to to seminary, the first thing I did was look for a church as a good seminary student. And I went to a church on my first Wednesday night there. It was this rather large church. I walked in. I didn't know no one. I went on my own. I stood in the lobby for 15 minutes, and not one person came up to me and said a word to me. There were people that walked by. There were people that noticed I was standing there, but no one welcomed me and no one said a word. You know what I did? I walked out, and I never went to that church again. The second church I went to on that Sunday was a, on that next Sunday was a completely different experience. I walked through the door, and I don't know how many people there were to greet me. Took me to where I was supposed to go to my Bible study class. Greeted me in worship. Greeted me before I left. I think they even invited me out to lunch before I went home. And that week after visiting that church, I got a phone call, I got a card, and I got a visit. I got three touches from that church within a week. And that's the church I wound up going to and became a member of. And and, and that church is, is still thriving today. That was a church that knew how to treat people. You see, how we treat people makes a difference. Why did I go to the second church? Because it showed that they cared. But unfortunately, there are many churches who struggle with this issue. There are many churches who struggle with treating members and guests the same. And sometimes those of a, of a different background, sometimes those who have different financial resources, sometimes those of a different age or marital status are not as welcome into the fellowship as others. And this should not happen among believers who claim they worship of God who is impartial. We should not make preconceived notions about our guests or members of the body of Christ. Who are we to judge people based on how they look but it's sad to say in many churches they do make preconceived notions about guests in many churches they do make preconceived notions about those who have the most money and I've heard of churches thankfully I haven't been in one but I've heard of churches where money talks and the people who have the money are the ones who make the decisions that's not the way it should be in the body of Christ I've heard of churches where they make preconceived notions about students and young adults that they're too young to serve. And you always hear this, well, this is the future. No, this is not the future. 
These students and these young adults, they are the church of today. They have gifts just like you and I do. They have ideas just like you and I do. In fact, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone look down on your youth, but be an example to believers in faith and love and conduct and purity. And it's the same maybe with senior adults. Some say maybe they're past their, their time. Maybe they're out of touch. But in reality, senior adults have so much to offer. What an example of faithfulness our senior adults are. What an example of service. What an example and source of wisdom. And sometimes a lot of biblical churches struggle with those who maybe practice an alternative lifestyle. That's the hot button issue of today. And the question is, should churches welcome those who practice an alternative lifestyle? And you may not like me, but my answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. We should be thankful that people are coming into the doors of our church. Why? So they can hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they're not going to hear it out in the world. And if we can't allow people in our church who don't think like us and act like us, how can we tell them the truth of the gospel? We can't. Now, does that mean that we celebrate their lifestyle? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we allow them to join and serve? Absolutely not. But we need to remember that Jesus died for them just like he died for me and you, and he loves them the same just like he loves me and he loves you. So my question to us is how are we as a church going to respond when someone comes who doesn't talk like us, who doesn't look like us, who doesn't act like us. And if we say we're a loving church, then we must show it by not playing favorites and treating everyone equally. And let's not forget that the church is a place full of imperfect people coming together to enter the presence of a perfect God. The church has been called the intensive care unit of the soul. The church is a place for sick people to get well. It's a place for the hopeless to find hope. It's a place for the lost to be found. And if people can't find genuine acceptance in the church, where are they going to find it? Because they're not going to find acceptance in the world. And if we're going to be Jesus to others, we need to be Jesus to others right here in our own building. Because how can we be Christ to others in the community if we can't be Christ to others right here in our own church? We must treat people fairly at all times. And we must understanding by showing favoritism that we are claiming to take the place of God as judge. And we need to remember that we are not judges of people. God is. And when we play favorites, what we are saying is you're not good enough. You're saying I'm better. And the fact is not one single one of us is better than anyone else. We have the same creator God. We have the same problem called sin. And favoritism should not be part of our conduct as believers as it reveals an attitude that is contrary to the heart of God. And just like God, we must look past the external appearance and look at the heart. Just like Jesus, we to accept people as they are. We are not to show favoritism. We are not to show prejudice against others. 
You see, to be impartial, to show acceptance to everyone, is to be consistent with God's desire for our lives, with whom we are in Christ, and with our faith. The third thing I want to share is favoritism is inconsistent with God's design. God chose the poor to be rich in faith. And this truth is found throughout Scripture. And this does not mean that God chooses all the poor people for salvation and he passes over the rich. That's not what James is saying, is that salvation is only for poor people. That's not his his meaning here. However, in the early church, many poor people had trusted in Christ for salvation compared to the rich. Why? Because the poor often realized how short life was. And they saw their need for eternal life so much more than the rich did. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24, it said, It's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't have time, but there's a parable of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17 to 27, who was not willing to give up all his possessions like Jesus asked him to do in order to follow Jesus. You see, to the rich... Their wealth, their possessions are more important than a relationship with God. But those who are materially poor, they're often poor in spirit, meaning they recognize their need for God's grace. And God just did not honor those who were physically poor in Scripture. God also honored those who were spiritually poor, meaning anyone who recognized their need for God. 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, before we come to Christ, we have to recognize our need for Christ. And Jesus became poor so we could become rich, so we could become heirs of God. And I believe when James said what he said in this passage, I think he had Matthew 5, 3 in mind. Remember, James pulled a lot from the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, God's delight to show his grace on whom the world has discarded. God likes to show his grace to those whom the world has forgotten, to those who are aware of their own spiritual inadequacy. inadequacy. In fact, we see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. And did not only Jesus hang out with him, didn't he accept them? Yes, he did. Why did he accept them? To show them his love and to show them the truth of the gospel. And some may say, aren't we going a little too far to say we should accept sinners? My response is, Jesus accepted you. Jesus accepted me. And if God's grace is good enough for us, it's good enough for anyone. But if we neglect the poor, if we neglect those who are poor physically and spiritually, in essence, we are negating God's grace and we're saying, God's grace is good enough for me, but it's not good enough for you. You don't deserve God's grace. So why were the rich being treated differently? You know why? Because they were hoping to gain favor with the rich. They were hoping to befriend the rich because of what they could get out of them. But this is not how God wanted their relationship to work or our relationship 
to work. But this is what these Christians were doing. Even though the rich were contributing to their poverty, they were befriending them. The rich, they were practicing immoral and illegal practices. They were using their wealth. They were using their influence with the courts to secure favorable verdicts against the poor. They were charging outrageous interest rates. And James is imploring them not to give any favor to the rich. He's saying don't honor the rich because they are oppressing you. They're taking advantage of you. He's saying this makes no sense. They don't deserve it. They are mistreating you. They are slandering God's name. They're making fun of your faith. They're criticizing what you believe about Jesus. They're mocking the very God you worship. And you're foolish to repay such actions with kindness. And he basically is saying, what are you doing? You see, instead of honoring God, they were honoring the rich. They were giving honor where it wasn't due. Instead of honoring people based on outward appearance, we need to see others through the eyes of Christ. Whether someone's a believer or whether someone's an unbeliever, we must see them through the eyes of Jesus. And we should not shun anyone, but we should share God's truth with everyone. And God's design is for us to follow his example. God's design is for us to take care of those who are neglected, to take care of those who are forgotten by the world, and for those who recognize their need for Jesus and not to discriminate against anyone. In other words, there is no one that we should not care for as followers of Christ. The next thing, the fourth thing, favoritism is inconsistent with God's decree. Verses 8 through 11, he says, If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law's transgressors. <clears throat> For whoever keeps the entire law fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, said, Do not murder. If you do commit adultery, but, but if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you are a lawbreaker. James contrasts favoritism with keeping the royal law. He's not talking about Levitical laws or dietary laws or moral laws. What he's doing is quoting Leviticus 19.18 and also drawing from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 22.39 where Jesus said the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And who's our neighbor? It's anyone who is around us. It's anyone that we come in contact with with and if we are showing favoritism james says we are not loving our neighbor and not only does this demonstrate a lack of love and concern for others but when we don't love our neighbor it shows a lack of love for god himself jesus said in john 14 15 if you love me including loving your uh, including loving others he says you will keep my commandments you see to show favoritism is a sin according to James. It's a sin because we're disrespecting man. It's a sin because we are dishonoring God. It's a sin because we are degrading God's creation. So when you violate the law of loving your neighbor, guess what? You are sinning against God. You are guilty before God. And you say, well, I'm doing everything else right. 
You know what James said? It don't matter if you're doing everything else right. He said if you do one thing wrong, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. He gave the example. He said, yeah, you may not commit adultery, but you do murder. Guess what? You're breaking the entire law. You see, as a lawbreaker, we offend the lawgiver, God himself. And you've heard the statement, rules are made to be broken. That doesn't apply to the laws of God. The laws of God were made to be followed. And to keep the royal law, to love our neighbor, is to do right and show we love God. The issue is black and white. There is no middle ground. And the remedy for favoritism, the remedy for bias, the remedy for discrimination is love. Because where love exists, favoritism ceases to exist. The last thing is favoritism is inconsistent with God's discipline. James 2, 12 and 13, Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what James is doing here? He's making us aware that divine judgment is coming. Romans 2, 6, God said, or uh, Paul wrote, God will repay each person according to what they have done. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. One day, you and I are going to stand before God and we are going to be judged for how we responded to God's truth one day we're going to give an account to god for our words for our actions and even our inaction we're going to give an account of how well we did or did not do in loving others this is why james says it's so important to speak in love and act in love but how can we speak and act well enough in love to be okay before god i've got some bad news you can't and i can't we can't speak and act good enough to be right before God. But I've got good news. It's only through the mercy, through the undeserved love, through the undeserved grace and compassion of God that you and I can stand before God and be declared right before Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an incredible picture of God's mercy. And where is this mercy found? It's found in the cross. It is only through the cross that God does not give us what we deserve, which is God's wrath. Because Jesus took God's wrath upon himself so we wouldn't have to. And we all need mercy. We need God's mercy. Without God's mercy, we have no hope. But not only do we need mercy, James says we need mercy that triumphs over judgment because where mercy and judgment collide mercy always wins the good news for every believer is that God's mercy toward us will triumph over his judgment of us and our sins may condemn us but Christ will argue for us and prevent us from receiving the judgment we deserve Romans 8 1 says there is no condemnation and those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news is that God is 
willing to show us mercy. But here's the catch. James says, because God has shown us mercy and will judge us with mercy, we should be willing to show mercy to others. Micah 6, 8, what does a man require of you? Or what does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do good, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? Matthew 5, 7, another of the Beatitudes that James probably pulled from. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Because we receive mercy, we are to extend mercy. However, if we don't show mercy to others, if we don't extend mercy to others, if we don't actively reach out to show love to others, we will be judged without mercy when we stand before God. James makes it very clear that judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And showing mercy, it takes us back to the idea that we must be a doer of God's word. It takes us back to the idea that true religion and real faith and faith that works must be evident in our actions, including loving one another. And as we sang this morning, yes, our sins, they are many, but thankfully, his mercy is so much more. And just as God has been merciful to us, may we reciprocate our gratefulness to him for his mercy by being merciful to others. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And in Matthew 25, 35 through 40, I don't have time to turn there, but that's the passage of the goat and the sheep and how Jesus separates them. And he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When, you, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. They say, Jesus, when, we, when did we do that? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. You see, when we show God's mercy to others, we are being Jesus to others. You see, playing favorites is not God-honoring. In fact, playing favorites is God-dishonoring. It's inconsistent with God's disposition. It's inconsistent with God's desire. It's inconsistent with God's design. It's inconsistent with God's decree. It's inconsistent with God's discipline. It's inconsistent with who God is and who he wants us to be. And because God loves us, he expects us to love him. And one way we show we love God is by loving others, by not showing favoritism, but instead by showing mercy. God does not play favorites, and neither should we. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just thank you for your word, and we just thank you for your truth. And Father, we just thank you that it's very clear in your word that you are not one who plays favorites. Father, because of the cross, we are all equal. Father, we just thank you that, that your love for us does not waver. Lord, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show us. And Father, because you have been merciful to us, Father, may we be merciful to others. God, may we not play favorites. May we not judge others by their external appearance or other external factors. But Father, may we see others as you see them. And Father, may we be willing to share your truth 
and be accepting of everyone and anyone that comes through these doors, anyone that we come in contact with. Father, we thank you for being a merciful and a gracious God. And Father, help us to show our love for what you've done for us by being merciful and showing your love to others. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here who does not know Jesus, I pray this morning they would come and say, I want to give my life to Christ, God. May today be their day of salvation. And Father, may they realize that nothing that they have done, Father, can keep them from coming to you. Father, they can't out your grace. Father, you, no one is beyond your reach. And Father, I just pray if someone needs to make that decision this morning to receive Jesus, they would do that. And Father, maybe there are those here this morning who are struggling with this idea of playing favorites. Father, maybe some here this morning are, are struggling with prejudice or bias or, or judging others based on their external appearances or Or, Father, maybe we haven't shown mercy to others the way you have shown mercy to us. And, Father, maybe we need to come this morning and say, God, forgive me for not having your heart and seeing people the way that you see them. God, help us to see others the way that you see them. Father, give us your eyes and your heart for people. And, Father, maybe there's those here this morning who are thinking about joining our church, may they come forward and say, I want to be part of this fellowship. Father, maybe there's someone here who's been saved, but they haven't been baptized. Father, maybe they want to be baptized. Or Father, maybe there's other decisions that need to be made this morning. Father, I just ask that you'd work in the hearts of the people here in the sanctuary and those listening online. But God, may we be willing, Father, to show your love to others by not playing favorites but instead by showing them your mercy and your grace. We love you so much. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning as I prayed, if you need Jesus, we'd love to show you how you can come and give your life to him. Or maybe you're here and God spoke to you this morning through this message. Maybe you're guilty, like these readers were in the book of James, of playing favorites, of showing favoritism, of having bias and prejudice in your life. Or maybe you're guilty of judging others on their external appearance. Or maybe you haven't shown mercy to others the way God has shown mercy to you. You know, that could be to family members. That could be to co-workers. That could be to friends. That could be to people right here in the sanctuary. But ask God to give you his heart be merciful to others and to see people as he sees them. And if you need to come to this altar and pray, or if you need to talk to me, I'll be down here this this morning at the front. But let's stand as we sing and be obedient to God as he